We don't simply want to survive. Hey, I'm Khaled Ege, and welcome to part 5 of Intergenerational Wisdom. A theme-based storytelling podcast aimed to bridge the gap between young and older, using stories as a lens to highlight the commonalities and differences in experiences, passions, times, and perspectives of those who were under and over 30. This show uses an intergenerational scope where stories will overlap from organizers, citizens, community members, siblings, and family members. On today's episode, you will get to hear Milcare's co-founder, Sanchez Gupta, share his inspirational story about how his trip to India as a young man inspired him to want to be able to help those who were in need. While an undergrad, Sanchez also recognized the enormous amount of food that was being wasted in contrast to the amount of individuals who were food insecure. Sanchez does a phenomenal job throughout his story of not only showing the power of an idea, but ultimately the immense power of action. So my story actually started a very long time ago. It started when I was eight years old and during one of my trips to India. Like many other people, including maybe some of you, I had the privilege and opportunity to get an education, to you know eat food, drink water, and travel the world. So during one of my trips to India, I remember you know being very excited. I'm about to board this huge plane and meet some of my family from across the world. And when we landed there, it was very different from what I expected. I remember walking down this dirt road, and to my left, I see people's homes, but not homes as we picture here in Canada. You see the top of the home made of rocks and the bottom made of garbage. And on my right, I see the community. And this community with no clothing, with no food, and with no water, we're surviving. And I was able to see generations of these people. Right beside me, there was a grandfather, a mother, a child, all living the cycle of poverty. And you could see it. And even at the age of eight, it was apparent that these people, not like people here who are homeless, these people were asking for food, for water, for very basic necessities of life, and they didn't have it. And I remember, even at the age of eight, walking over with a handful of oranges, and it wasn't just a lineup of 10 or 15 people. There were thousands of people hoping to grab an orange from this little eight-year-old boy from Canada. And those moments still resonate with me, even at the age of 22, I still remember handing out those oranges. I remember someone my age stealing an orange from underneath me. And at the moment, I remember being angry. But then now, as I've grown, I've realized that was his survival. That may have been the only meal he had that week or even that month. And, you know, these moments really has kind of shaped my future growth and shaped the story that I'm about to tell you. And before I continue on, the last image I want to leave with you guys is I remember seeing people dying in front of me. If you have taken an anatomy course, you have seen like the human corpse. And I remember being able to count the number of ribs on a person. That's how much they were starving. So the issue in these third world countries is unbearable. But just like every other person, as soon as I came back to Canada, I went back to my normal routine and I forgot about it. And now I fast forward 10 years and I'm a first year student attending McGill University you know, very excited to start my semester. And I remember around November going inside the cafeteria with all my friends, enjoying our meal. And on our way out, I kind of just peered into the cafeteria kitchen door. And I remember them throwing out hundreds 
maybe even thousands of fresh meals. And it really wasn't their fault. It was their policy. And at the end of the day, they were supposed to serve us fresh food. So at the end of the day, they threw it out. But that really left a bitter taste in my mouth. But as I continue on, I left the cafeteria. I was walking down to my dorm. And I remember seeing this shady looking man, ripped jeans, and he just, you know, popped up in front of us. And he literally said, quote unquote, that he didn't want money. He just wanted food. And that moment kind of brought back my entire trip to India and very much kind of instantly put things in perspective. This man was not looking to buy drugs, was not looking to buy alcohol. He just wanted food and food that was literally thrown out probably 20 minutes before that could have fed him, his family. And that kind of sparked my journey to create meal care. I am from Ottawa and we don't see these things all the time living in a suburb, you're not exposed to even the slightest amount of poverty. But seeing this one man in Montreal kind of opened my eyes. But from that point on, me and my colleague who has also witnessed this entire thing decided to look deeper into the facts. Did what we see was an anomaly or is this a reoccurring pattern? And to our surprise, we found out that one in eight Canadian families are food insecure. That means one in eight of your friends, of your family, or even the people in that room may and statistically are food insecure. And that fact really hit home because I attend classrooms that have thousands of students and I'm picturing some of these people going home after eight hours of class to not enough food to sustain their mind to really operate functionally. And that really hit home. And then on the other hand, I discovered that $49 billion of food each year is wasted in Canada. So now, me and my colleague Milton were kind of faced with two huge social issues. One is this food insecurity, the poverty that is existing in a developed country like Canada. And on the other hand, we are wasting billion dollars worth of our resources on landfill and on food that should be served to people. So what we did is we took up this opportunity and we approached our cafeteria. And let me tell you, the first meeting was quite the roller coaster. I remember walking in and shaking the head chef's hand and we sat down, we told him what we saw and what we think could be done. We thought that the cafeteria food each week could be delivered to local homeless shelters, soup kitchens and women's shelters to feed them just to take waste and resources from one location and just redistribute it and serve it to another location. And immediately he said it was impossible. He said that the cafeterias and other local grocery stores, restaurants do not generate enough waste for it to be sustainably given to other beneficiaries. That was meeting one. We probably went through another 10 meetings, which actually took one year before we delivered our first cohort of food. And our first delivery was a success. We were able to deliver over 200 pounds of food, but it took one year to change mindset, to change the policy. And this is what it takes. As a young entrepreneur, I've realized that before you could even create a sustainable organization or even start operating, there is a lot of education needed. And we had to educate some people in McGill and in the a larger community that food waste and giving it doesn't necessarily make your business look less positively or less sustainable. It actually helps and benefits far more people in the community. And that's what we did. And now as we've grown on, we've started to expand and operate in different cities. So now we have an operating chapter in Guelph, in Ottawa, in Montreal, and we're opening currently in London, Dalhousie, Calgary, and Vancouver.
with a very similar model. And what meal care does now is that we distribute surplus edible food from restaurants, cafeterias, grocery stores, and we supply that excess to homeless shelters, women's shelters, and soup kitchens. Among our value proposition is we educate people even at home how to reduce their food waste because besides the numbers I've told you before, we discovered later on during our operations that 52% of food waste occurs at home and there is no way under legislation and no way that we could physically move that food to homeless shelters. And now we've taken a huge role in advocating to reduce this food waste in-house and create a more sustainable environment in these Canadian communities. As the co-founder and managing director, I'm very proud to say MealCare has delivered over 15,000 meals and saved our partner homeless shelters and soup kitchens over $65,000. Looking back, I was very fortunate to make certain decisions and I want to make sure you guys don't make the same mistakes. One thing that I've realized throughout this entire journey is to take advantage of your unique perspective. So for meal care, what we do as opposed to other food rescue organizations is that we collect data upon every delivery and make basic insights and trends and share back this data to our food donors. And in the end, they were able to save thousands of pounds of food waste and lower their cost of production. So in the end, we are addressing the root cause of food waste in the system. But naturally, what is happening and what we want it to happen is over time, these donors are giving us less and less food to donate to local homeless shelters and soup kitchens. But we survive because there is so much inefficiency in the system. And once we create a good environment in one grocery store or one metro in the block, we just move over to the next one and just continue this process. Because in the end, we don't simply want to survive and let the same issues repeat over and over again. We want to create a better food system that will remain sustainable and that will become better over the years. And that's what we took advantage of. And something else that we've done very luckily is that we've been able to hire and surround ourselves with people who are better than us. We have chapter founders in Guelph and in Ottawa who have been able to take meal care and better it. There are founders in Guelph who've already been able to work with farms and local restaurants and cafeterias and already create a system that's more sustainable than the one in Montreal. And people in Ottawa have taken it and used it to take advantage of large scale events like weddings and catering halls. So this is what we've been able to do and what allowed us to become better and better as we've grown. We've been able to take people who are passionate about making a difference and who are potentially better founders than ourselves and put them in places to make a difference myself included, I couldn't have been at the place I am today without my co-founder, Milton, who really pushed and we pushed each other to create this organizational structure and vision that relied on youth. So MealCare operates completely under the guidance of youth and we leverage youth empowerment and involvement to create these systems. So when I say we've delivered 15,000 meals, that is 15,000 meals done by people who are 25 and under. When we say we've saved the system over $65,000, that is people who are first year university students, or even high school students who've approached large scale organizations like grocery stores. So these youth who would approach large scale organizations like grocery stores and restaurants and meet with the board of directors to change their mindset and philosophy. And the reason MealCare has had such a huge success is because of people like you and other youth who were passionate about making a difference. 
Throughout this journey, I've learned a couple of gems to share with you guys. So the first one I wanted to share is to take advantage of your situation. Myself included, and you guys are very privileged to live in Ottawa or in Canada, to have an education, to eat food every day, to drink water, to have shelter. And just those four things are more than half the people in the world. And I feel obligated, and I'm sure you guys feel this as well, to help those people in those unfortunate circumstances, whether it be creating an organization and doing it through that, or simply just volunteering once a week or donating some money. That itself makes a huge difference. And I think it's our obligation as privileged members of society to help people who are not in the same level or at least help them survive which is in my eyes a basic necessity the second thing I want to share is to find your passion and how I encourage other people to do it is through getting involved whether it be volunteering at a homeless shelter, going to a walk for climate change, whether it be through gender studies, it's all about finding your passion. And for me, it was helping people in poverty, food insecurity, and creating a more sustainable environment in the food system. But for other people, some of my friends, it's about climate change. For some of my other friends, it's about gender equality. And you will only find your passion and your true calling only if, you kind of surround yourself with other people with very diverse passions. And the best way to do it, whether you're a university student, a college student, or a high school student, is to get involved in various clubs and initiatives. The third thing I want to emphasize was to capitalize on your unique perspective. And this is a little more complex because it's hard to identify, but I'll just use an example. So for climate change, people think of so many different things. For instance, I think climate change, I think the solution may be to create more sustainable practices around the different energies. While other people may be thinking of plastic waste or using solar power. And just that unique perspective on how you approach that issue is significantly different than the person beside you. And just by capitalizing on your perspective, you may be able to create the next Tesla, the next Apple. And it's only when you take that first step towards looking and identifying your own unique perspective, will you be able to create something magnificent, something sustainable. And I encourage everyone to try it out. Some of us are very young. And even if you were to waste five months creating a business model that doesn't work, you've already learned so much more than the person who has not tried to create that business model. And finally, one of the most important things is to surround yourself with people better than yourself. And I've luckily been able to do this my entire life somehow. Just by having people who are smarter than you, who are in different fields, can bring out that unique perspective I was talking about. And they can encourage you to do some things that you thought were impossible. At the age of 18 years old, I never thought that I would be able to create this nationwide initiative that would help be able to feed and help tens of thousands of people. But now, because I did that and my involvement with meal care, I'm already thinking of other ideas and other projects I want to take part. And I think that only was possible because I took that first step and because I was able to surround myself with people who already thought these very big ideas. And those are my four gems. Looking back, if I could give myself advice, if I was a 10 year old, a 15 year old, 20 year old, I would tell myself to just continue learning and taking those opportunities. I still remember at the age of 10, I had ideas on how to create a flying car. And maybe even today, it could have been possible if I took those opportunities, or at least if I learned. At that age, I was so oblivious to what other people were saying when I realized the best person for advice was my grandfather or other people who I thought just didn't know the current circumstance. So what I would tell other people 
would be, I would say two things. The first thing I would tell them is to take those opportunities, whether it be going to work with your father, whether it be going to volunteer at a homeless shelter, or whether it be walking around the office of Google. Those can all be inspirational moments and that very moment could shape your future career path. And the second thing I would say, and the second piece of advice would be to never give up. It's gonna be hard to change policy and to change mindset is never an easy thing. And you have to understand that. There's a reason why, you know, hundreds and thousands of years that the current system is that way. And for you to, in your eyes, improve it, or at least innovate on it will take time. And it would be very much to stay patient and go through the wave. But on the other hand, my younger self, let's say even at the age of 22, would want to tell myself in 60. Currently, my entire life, I could tell, has been very focused on improving myself or the current circumstance. And even now, I've learned you have to enjoy the process. You have to enjoy waking up sometimes at 5.30 a.m. to prepare for meetings the entire day or 5.30 a.m. to study for that exam. And you might as well enjoy the process. If you want success that badly, you might as well enjoy the up point until you get that million dollars. If not, you'll get that million dollars at the age of 30 or 40, but you've wasted 30 years of a beautiful life to get there. So once again, go out with your friends, spend time with your family, spend time with your grandparents, because I know you'll be able to get to your goal, but you might as well help and excite and make other people happy on your way to the end point. The importance of seizing opportunities is a key ingredient to our current and future endeavors. Think to yourself, what kind of impact do I want to have in the world? Satch's story is like many in the world with regard to having an idea. But where he clearly has and continues to separate himself is his action, backed by his passion. Satchit proved the fact Satchit proved that in fact an idea is only crazy, is only as Satchit proved Sanchez proved that in fact, an idea is only as crazy, wild, and outlandish as you make it. You and I are not in fact too small to make a change and impact. For the younger listeners, this is a perfect example of taking action into your own hands and creating opportunities and possibilities. And possibilities. Were you inspired by the story that was just shared or a story that was shared before? Amazing. Feel free to reach out to Khalid Ege via email at khalidege97 at gmail.com or on Instagram at Khalid underscore Ege. Khalid spelled K-H-A-L-I-D. Ege spelled E-G-E-H 97 at gmail.com or on Instagram at Khalid underscore Ege. A very special thank you to CHUO 89.1 FM for supporting this initiative from the beginning to today. Support independent community radio today at www.patreon.com backslash CHUO 89.1 FM.